Hello, my friend, and welcome to the Mark Stichowski Podcast, the show that's all about helping you perform at an optimum level. I am Mr. Productivity, and it is my obsession to teach you how to be a more productive you. And one of the ways I do that is by inviting you to take my free seven-question productivity quiz. How productive are you really? Well, go take the quiz and find out. Just go to mrproductivity.com. It's right there on the homepage. Also, after you listen to this episode, I want you to go to mrproductivity.com, click on the blog tab, find this episode, and leave a comment and let us know what you think. Who do I want you to leave it for? Well, my guest today is Seppi Tabibian. She is an expert on untethering your life. How does that sound? Would you like to untether your life? Maybe move abroad? Maybe do some long-term travel? Well, we've got you covered on this episode today. It's she is high energy. I'm high energy. So don't listen to this episode and anything other than one X speed because you won't, we'll sound like chipmunks. You won't hear us, but an incredible episode. So enough of me. Let's get to the episode. Seppi, welcome to the show. Mark, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. You know, I, I think it's really interesting. It's really bizarre. Even as I'm talking to you, you're in Madrid, Spain, but you don't have a Spanish accent. That's because you're from my hometown. Well, not my hometown, where I live now in Houston, Texas. Exactly. I say y'all, and I got a little bit of a Texan accent, but it's true. <laughs> I live on the other side of the world now. Now, the first time you said y'all over in Spain, did people look at you weird? <laughs> I don't think they knew what that was. I get weird looks in different parts of the U.S. when I say it. <laughs> How about fixing? You ever use the word fixing over in Spain? Um, I actually don't use that word. So. Oh, really? Wait <laughs> yeah. a minute. You're from Houston and you don't say, you've never said fixing before. Yeah, it's true. You know why? Because both my parents are immigrants. So, you know, you kind of learn your English <laughs> okay. from your parents and they never use fixing. So it never came into my vocabulary. Well, I remember when I first moved down to Houston back in 1997 from Rochester, New York, and I heard someone said, yeah, uh, we're fixing. I'm like, was something broken? No, we're fixing to go to the store or we're fixing dinner or you got to have the barbecue with all the fixings. I'm like, so I love the word fixing. I love y'all, but there's some words down here. I can't think of right now that really throw me for a loop, but uh, it's, uh, but my favorite town in the Houston area is cut and shoot. You got to say it with a Southern accent. Even if you don't have a Southern accent, you can't say cut and shoot. You got to say cut and shoot. See what I'm saying? You, you you like that? You get that? You guys, he couldn't shoot. It's a southern. It. It's a southern town. Couldn't shoot. So, someone's <laughs> listening true. to this, and they're gonna say, "Are you making fun of my town?" No, it's a cool name. Couldn't shoot. <laughs> no. Yes, and you know, I wish I had more of a, a Texan accent. Also, I, I try to. It's become quite neutral here in Spain, but every time I go back to Houston, when I'm with my friends, I just like sit there, bright eyed and bushy tailed, like taking in all of the Texan <laughs> Houston accents. I love it. It just sounds like home. Oh my goodness. Now, do you speak Spanish? I do. I've had to learn Spanish since moving here. So that's been a journey. I mean, it's a never ending journey. I'm still learning, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's pretty good. Well, I, I tried to learn Spanish for about six, six months on Duolingo. Didn't go too well. And then I'm trying to learn French. <laughs> I don't know. I keep, I think I'm switching languages. Cause I think if I keep switching languages, one's going to click, but I, I tried Mandarin that lasts a week. I'm like, Oh my goodness. Oh. No. And I tried to learn Japanese. Oh my goodness. That lasted like five minutes on Duolingo and, uh, tried Russian. I didn't get past the first screen on that one. So 
French and Spanish. Well, they say if you speak English, if your native language is English, uh, Spanish and French are the two easiest languages to learn because they're most uh, they're as similar to English as possible. So, um, yeah, I, I my wife, on the other hand, takes the new languages like a duck takes the water. Me. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. I love how you start with the most difficult languages in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, someone told me there's a website out there where they rate the, if you speak English, the the languages you should like avoid learning first and like all the characters like Arabic, Chinese, Japanese, all those. You should never, unless you're like a prodigy, you should stay away from those languages. If you can barely speak English, don't go learn Mandarin. Okay. It sounds really cool, but Dude, learn English first, then move on to another language. Um, I agree. <laughs> the reason why we're talking about languages, folks, is it does have something to do with the show today because one of the things that Seppi's really, really, really passionate about, and I am so excited to have on her show about, is untethering your life. Move abroad, long-term travel, take sabbaticals. Now, listener, let me ask you a question. As you are either working at home during this pandemic, maybe you've been furloughed, maybe you are working and taking a two-hour commute back and forth to work, you hate your job, does the concept of untethering your life sound good? Well, if it does, get ready because we have a young lady on the show who's going to tell us how she did it. So you started from Houston, Texas. You spent some time in Austin, Texas. So take us back to when you decided, you know... I love Texas, but I want to go someplace else. Take us back to that moment. Mm, okay. So I'm going to give you two short uh, roll back in time. So the first one, really my first experience with uh, the rest of the world was when I was 17 and went to the Netherlands for the first time. And that was like a mind-blowing, life-altering experience that planted that seed of my love of travel, that travel bug. Um, fast forward to 2015 when I was 35 living in Austin. I had lived in Spain on and off um, in my 20s, but I could never make it work. You know, I could only, the only thing I could figure out to do here was teach English. And that wasn't the lifestyle I wanted to have. So 2015, I was working in Austin. I was working for a tech company and learning and development. I had a really comfortable life. I wasn't running away from anything. Life was actually really great there, but it was comfortable. It was a bit predictable. <laughs> it felt boring. I'm an adventurous spirit, and I just could not do another year doing the same thing I had done the year before. So predictability <laughs> is not one thing that you look forward to. You like the unknown. Yeah, I love the unknown because that's where the growth happens, <laughs> yes, right? That's yes. where the magic happens. So I'm always trying to seek that. But at that point in my life, I had been kind of doing the same thing for four years. And so I just got this wild idea. And I call it a wild idea because at 35, I thought maybe I was too old to start over again. You were just getting started. Years. <laughs> right? But we have these ideas in our head. So at 35, I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to move to Spain again and I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to make it work this time. And so I came kind of on a whim, quit my job, um, found tenants for my home, sold my car and it came to Madrid. You know, it's hard to get a visa. So I came to teach English for a year, but promised myself I'd have to find a way out of that if I wanted to stay longer. And five years later, here I am. Wow. That is a stunning story because I think everyone who's listening to this conversation, there's a little part in their heart that says, you know, I wonder if the grass is greener on the other side, if I go to another country. And I've certainly had other wandering nomads on the show, not that you're a wandering nomad, but you have to, it comes down to making that decision. 
Because you look at it like, oh, all these other people except you're doing it. Well, what's stopping you? I mean, now, if you have four kids and they're all in school and you're married and, okay, maybe you can't do it now, but maybe you can do it in 10 years. So, I mean, now we're living longer than we've ever lived before. And But the one thing we all have in common, Seppi, is we all have one life. One yeah. life. And we don't want to get to the end of our life and go, Oh man, I wish I did this and I did this and I did this. And then you're on your deathbed. Now's the time to start thinking about that, right? Exactly. You know, that's exactly what I thought at the time. Maybe not. I only have one life, but I thought, what do I have to lose? Like, what is the worst that's going to happen? I go to Madrid and it's not what I thought it was going to be again. And I move back to Austin and I live the same life I'm living now. Like, what do I have to lose? That's, that's fine. Well, I have shared this a couple times on the show, but in 2009, I actually won a trip to Normandy, France. It's one of these things where I entered the contest one time online, forgot about it, and all of a sudden I get this email saying, you've won a trip to France. And I'm like, yeah, right. It's a scam, right? (laughs) It was from the Forbes company. And so I actually called the Forbes company in New York City. And I said, yeah, I got this email saying I won a contest. Can I talk to the legal department? And Obviously, 10 years later, we did go in the June of 2010, and I have never been outside the United States except for Canada. When I lived, used to live up in Rochester, New York, you could actually go over to Canada without having a passport. Uh, it, we used to call it the United States of Canada because it was a joke. It, was like, it wasn't like another country to me. When I got off the plane at Charles de Gaulle Airport, I got on at Intercontinental Airport here in Houston, got off at Charles de Gaulle, and it's like, we're not in Kansas anymore, Dorothy. We are in another country, and the first language was French, not English, and it was very surreal because they do things different over there than we do over here, and one of the things that really confused me, because we got a, a, a car, and you tell me if they have this in Spain or if it's a French thing, roundabout. Oh, yeah. (laughs) They confused me because there could be seven spokes off the roundabout. And here, when you, you know, you come to an intersection in the United States, you can go straight left to right. Oh, not in these, not in Europe. It's like, oh, you can go southeast, north. I mean, there's so many directions. And I got so confused because there's also not like gas stations and convenient food marts when you got the freeway. It's just like you get off the freeway and there's like right or left. And it's like, and this is back in 2010, we didn't have our cell phones because, you know, you, you, you didn't have this roaming thing you have now that we all take for granted. And so it was very, very interesting, kind of stressful, but kind of interesting and kind of exciting, all bundled in at the same time. That sounds like a wild experience. Yeah. I mean, there are many reasons why I don't drive in Europe and roundabouts are definitely one of them. <laughs> <laughs> so now walk us back to when you actually made the decision. So you said, okay, I'm going to go try to live in Spain. What is the first thing you did? I mean, obviously you didn't sell your house first or get renters for your house and sell your car first. What is the first decision when you say, okay, I think this is real. What is the next thing you you did? Oh, okay. So I had to figure out visa situation. Ah. That was number one. Because it's great to want to live somewhere, but the reality is you need permission to live in another country. Oh, you just can't can't show up there and say, hey, I'm here? (laughs) If only we could. Um, so you need to figure, especially if you want to stay long term. In a lot of countries in Europe, you can stay for three months. Uh, you don't need a visa for that. But I wanted to live here. I wanted to at least do a year 
and try it out again. I had lived here when I was younger teaching English and traveling. Uh, but at 35, I was like, I need to find out a long-term visa. So that's what I did. I went and looked and, and saw what was available to me. Um, unfortunately, I say unfortunately because I didn't want to do it. The easiest visa for me to get was a visa that, that the government provides to people who want to teach English as a language assistant. So you don't need any teaching experience. You just have to be a native speaker and have a college degree. Um, and so that allows you to stay in the country for a year. You get a stipend. You get health insurance. Wow. It's actually a pr- pretty good deal, especially if you just want to get your foot in the door. So that's the visa I selected, and I came over with that program. Wow. So literally, someone can go who's listening to the show can go to like another country, certainly not all countries, but you just have to be a native speaker of English and have a college degree. Well, for this particular program in Spain, other countries don't don't have this wonderful program. Okay. Wow. That's that's an amazing. So you don't have to know Spanish. You just have to know English. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, but I will say, oh, go ahead. No, how, how do you how do you? Because the students are going to ask you questions in Spanish. Is there is there someone there who speaks uh, Spanish? Yeah, great question. So with the program, you're actually just a language assistant. So the teacher or the professor is there and they they speak English and Spanish. And you are there not so much to teach grammar because, you know, we aren't trained in that. If you're mm-hmm. not a teacher, um, you're there to teach more culture and um, and just language. So it's a lot of conversational stuff that you're doing. Um, and the great thing is, is you only work, I think in Madrid, you're only working 16 hours a week. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> not quite the Tim Ferriss four-hour work week, but a 16-hour work week, that's not too bad. Pretty close. <laughs> so when you moved over there, you know, did you go to the same place you lived before? Or did you live another area of Madrid? Yeah, I lived in a different area. Madrid's a pretty big city, but the center is quite compact. So I just lived in a different area in the center, you know, coming from Houston and even Austin. Austin isn't a big city, but you spend a lot of time in traffic there. I just did not (laughs) want to deal with any type of cars and traffic. I just wanted to be able to walk everywhere. So I chose a, a really fun area in the center. How is the things we take for granted over here, like internet and, you know, cable TV or satellite TV and streaming? How is that? I mean, I know... I'm t- I'm asking this like I, like Spain's a third world country. It's not, but I I did, I'm just trying to get my mind wrapped around it because here we it's been a certain way for like a hundred million years, and over there it's got to be different when you walk, when you went over there. How do you set yourself up as living in that that country? Yeah. So that, I mean, that can be challenging, especially if you don't have the language, you know, people hear that in Europe, they speak so many, they speak a lot of languages. Spain is not one of those countries. So Spain, um, it is hard to find, you know, people who speak English. So yeah, if you are trying to set up your internet here, that could be a challenge if you don't speak the language. Um, but we manage, you know, finding an apartment, there are certain websites you could use, but again, if you need a call, somebody to set up that appointment, you need to speak Spanish. So those things I can be challenging. There are services that you can use that can, you know, be, um, can help you get navigate all of that. Um, but I would say like the, um, access that we have here to all those things, like in the U S is the same. So there's not really internet problems. There's high speed internet, all that kind of stuff. I would say the main difference is convenience, you know, um, I miss um, driving to Taco Cabana at three in the morning if I'm out and about and hungry. <laughs> now, do they, do, they have, 
do they have supermarkets over here? Like here, we have these like mega WalMarts. Because when I went to France, we went to uh, no, we went to Normandy, France, which is on the west side of France, and so mm-hmm. the town shuts down at five o'clock in the afternoon. Nothing's twenty four hours, and so we're in Madrid. Do they have twenty four hour supermarkets, or, or do they have any big uh, big stores like Walmart over there, or are they pretty much like the neighborhood stores? Yeah, so that's some of the convenience things that you know that are lacking here. Um, so in the city center, there are some grocery stores that are 24 hours. Not all of them are. A lot of them close at 10 p.m. Um, and, but we do have a Costco, which I was super surprised wow. here. <laughs> yes. But it is, you know, kind of the bigger grocery stores are going to, you're going to need a car to get there. They're outside of the city in the sur- suburbs or even in surrounding cities. So yeah, sometimes you are just stuck with the local um, mom and pop shops, or you just got to get your groceries done between the time frame that the grocery store is open. Nice. Now, share with us some mistakes that people make when they decide, you know what, I'm going to do what Seppi did. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to leave Austin. I'm going to leave Houston, leave L.A., leave Miami, wherever it is. I'm going to go live in Paris or I'm going to go live in Madrid or Barcelona. What are some mistakes that people make? I think the number one, and this is not to discourage anybody, but the number one, they think it's going to be easy. Mm. Um, it's not a plug and play type of thing when you move to a new country that you just come over, you find an apartment. You and mean then, internet oh, and everything doesn't, doesn't can't convert over? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. You no, know, there. The, I would say there is quite a long period, and it depends really on everyone's experience. You know, there's a long period where you're trying to figure things out, where you don't know what's going on. That is also the thrilling part that I love because it really makes you feel alive. You are being mentally stimulated on a daily basis, um, and you really get to learn so much about yourself. I mean, you're learning about the new country you're in, but you're also learning how you handle these kinds of situations. So I would say the number one is people think it's easy. Number two, I think a lot of people come thinking they can find a job here. That is very, very difficult, if not almost impossible. So if you're coming, you need to have some kind of, if you're, you know, beyond the English program that I did, I had to find a way to stay. So you need to come with some kind of income, I would say, instead of, you know, with the idea that you're going to come and find a job here. Um, what other, what else? Yeah, maybe financially, people don't financially plan. They think that everything's going to fall into place a lot sooner uh, than they had planned. And so I think you just need to have more savings than you actually think you need just to, you know, have that safety net in case if things don't go the way you planned as soon as you wanted them to. Share with us a moment uh, when you went over to Madrid and share with a moment where you're like, uh-oh, I'm not in America anymore. Maybe it was like you wanted the pizza at 2 o'clock in the morning, like you referenced the Taco Pana earlier. Share with a moment the first time you wanted something, you wanted to go someplace, and you realized that that was an American thing. It wasn't in Madrid. Uh, the banks. <laughs> um. <laughs> Tell us about that. <laughs> Trying to go to the bank after 1.30 or 2.30 p.m. is just not possible because they close. So really? if you work, yeah, if, I mean, I was like, what is this? I mean, if people work during the day, you know, in Spain, they work quite long hours. They can go in the office in the morning from maybe eight or nine. And sometimes they're not getting out till seven or eight at night. So I'm thinking like, I mean, if I'm working all day, how do, can I make it to the bank? So that's very frustrating. Um, and I think bureaucracy in general Probably because in America, I'm a U.S. citizen. I don't deal with a lot of the bureaucracy that I deal with here, trying to get all these paperwork done so I can live here. But the bureaucracy is just, it's overwhelming. You know, nobody knows the right answer. People tell you different things. You have to go to this office, that office. 
So those two things have been very frustrating. <laughs> Interesting. So here's a little question. I don't know if you're going to answer it. You can feel free to say, I'm not going to answer that question. But did you ever have any problems during your stint here in Madrid or here, there in Madrid? I'm not, I'm not <laughs> in her apartment. Okay. Uh, I'm in Houston, Texas, where the people looked at you a little odd because you were American. I, we had this problem when we were in Paris. Now, when we went, oddly enough, we went to the outskirts of the, the outskirts of Paris, you know, in the suburbs. It would, they were more, um, accepting, but the people in Paris looked at us like, oh, you're American. Uh, have you had that problem over in Madrid? No, I haven't at all. Actually, people in Spain uh, in general are very warm and welcoming. So I haven't ever felt that. The only time where I feel a little self-conscious is if I'm at a restaurant and something isn't right. I try not to complain because usually <laughs> when I'm at a restaurant and I hear people complaining, it is the Americans. And I think we have a bit of a reputation for that. <laughs> Interesting. So when you when you first went over there, did you know how to speak somewhat fluent Spanish, conversational Spanish? Yeah, I wouldn't say fluent. I was um, probably somewhere between. I was probably intermediate, so okay. it it was good, but it wasn't great. Okay, the reason why I ask that is because my wife took French in high school, and when you go to the suburbs, I'm probably sure this is anywhere outside in the United States. Is everyone speaks English in the major cities? When you go out to the small towns. They only speak the native language. And I remember we got lost someplace in some really teeny tiny town in, in Western France. And we pull over and my wife is going, bonjour, you know, and all this stuff. And the, the, he, she found that the person she was talking to, it's happened, we got lost a couple times. Um, they were very patient because I think other people in other cultures, and I'd like to know your thoughts of this as an American living in Madrid, that if, at least if you're trying to learn some of the common fa phrases, if you're trying to be patient, you're not trying to be condescending, most people will be patient with you and, and try to help you out. You find that true in Madrid as well? Yes, I 100% agree. You know, people here in Spain, maybe the younger people might be able to speak English, but they're a bit self-conscious and older people definitely do not speak English. So you just making that gesture of trying, saying a few words. I mean, they're already warm and friendly people here, but they're just going to be much more willing to take the time to help you if they see you're making an effort. How is Spanish different in Spain than the Spanish we speak in America? Because a lot of people in America have come from Mexico. Is there a difference? Oh, my God. There's a big difference. <laughs> yes. I miss the Mexican accent, you know, being from Texas, hearing a lot of that. So I would say the speed of Spanish here is like 10 times that, maybe even 100 times that of Mexico. It's faster? Oh my gosh, it is so fast here. <laughs> it's very, very hard to follow. Also, as your listeners may know that in Spain, they talk with the lisp. Right. Like the. OK, so in, instead of saying like in, you know, Mexican Spanish, they would say Barcelona here in Spain. They say Bar Barcelona. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so how how would how long did it take you to get used to that the way they spoke Spanish? You know, I think I adapted to it pretty quick, even though, you know, in, in Texas, we learned Spanish in high school and it's more Latin American Spanish. When I first moved here, I had the Latin American accent, but I think I adapted pretty quickly here. So, yeah, I don't even know when it switched, but now I can't speak the other way. I can only speak like a Spaniard. Oh, so if you came back here to visit in Houston and you try to talk to someone who came from Mexico, you'd, you'd struggle with that. 
Um, no, I mean, I just speak like a Spaniard. And then they okay. always ask me, like, where are you from? You oh. sound Spanish, <laughs> but you don't. And um, yeah. And also my, my mother's side of the family is Colombian, although my mother never taught me Spanish. When I speak with them, I try not to sound so Spanish because they kind of make fun of me. But I just can't not do the Spanish accent. <laughs> <laughs> I can't roll my R's. And I remember once uh, when I was learning Spanish, uh, I went to visit my parents in Florida. And I thought I'd show off my uh, my wealth of Spanish knowledge. And, and I, I did say a couple things in Spanish. And I, I said, let me ask you a question. Because she was obviously at a really thick Mexican accent. And she speaks as her, as her native tongue. And I said, if you don't roll your R, if I don't roll my R's, can people understand? She goes, oh, honey. Because everybody calls honey down down south, as you know. And she goes, oh, honey, there are Spanish people that can't roll their R's. I'm like, really? I thought that was the coolest thing when I found that out. So you can be Spanish, you can be Mexican and not roll your R's and you will not be kicked out of the country. So I felt that was really comforting to me. You're not. Yeah, you weren't alone, right? <laughs> I mean, do you, can you roll your R's? Yes, I can roll them. Show yep. off. <laughs> You're not supposed to show off the show off the host on. Didn't you know that? I told you before we started recording. Um, I forgot. So when's the last time you were back in the States? Um, I was just there. Where was it? Oh, I was there for Christmas. So I always go back twice a year. I okay. usually go back in August for about a month and then uh, around December, January for about a month. Wow. So, I mean, I, it's just bizarre that it sounds like you are like in Austin, Texas, having this conversation, but you're over there <laughs> and it's 830 at night. And uh, isn't technology great? I love technology. It's awesome. I do, too. I'm with you. I'm a, definitely a fan of technology. So what... Give us one or two lessons that you have learned now that you've moved from Houston to Madrid. What are a couple lessons that you have learned while you're there that in your heart of hearts that if you didn't move, you may not have learned? Great question. I think the number one, and when I ask people also kind of a similar question, I think the number one is we just realize how strong we are. Like, you know, this whole journey here in Madrid I've attempted to make it work so many times in my life. And finally, at 35, I was able to build a whole new life from scratch here in Spain. And I did it all on my own. Nobody helped me. Nobody gave me money. I had figured out everything on my own. So it just showed me, it just, you know, built so much confidence and showed me how strong I am. Um, I think the second thing is, is, you know, you always, you know, that you're going to miss your family, but I think being away from the people that you love for so long, you know, there's no place I would rather live right now than Spain, but just not being able to spend all this, you know, the same amount of time with them that I could when I lived uh, back in Texas, you know, that's just show me how uh, grateful I am for my family. So your entire family is still in Texas. Yes. Well, in the U.S., Texas, California, uh, Florida. But, you know, the beauty of this is that since I work remotely, I get to spend about two months out of the year with them. So when you told them, hey, guys, guess what I'm going to do? What was the reaction? Was it first kind of like you're going to what? Or is it like, <laughs> yeah, go for it? What was the re originally the, the original reaction, not the reaction after the reaction? Right. Uh, I think it was a mix of both. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, in my case, it wasn't a shocker since I had attempted to do this before. So nobody thought like, oh, where'd this wild idea come from? <laughs> um, <laughs> but I will say um, that there was some concern, I think, from some family members because of my age. You know, I think, you know, there there is, I would say, kind of a double standard for men and women. And some of the people in my family just thought, you know, that... I was getting up there in years and what about, I don't know, certain <laughs> things I need to think about, 
your career, relationships, children, like how is Spain gonna, you know, play in that mix? So, but I think overall, everybody was really excited. And um, everybody, yeah, I think, I wouldn't say they're envious of my life, but they um, are just super supportive of where things have gone. Well, they're envious and they're, they're going to listen to this interview <laughs> and you can tell them, hey, listen, I'm over here. You guys are jealous. It's okay. I still love you. <laughs> right? <laughs> Living the dream, but I still love you. <laughs> yeah. So now this is coming from a personal, uh, personal side of me. I would be terrified when I landed over there and realized, okay, um, I just made a decision. I'm over here. What did I do? Has there ever been fear or doubt or like questioning in your mind that says, oh, did I just do, do this? Is this the right decision? Have you ever gone through that? Yes. Let's keep it real. Of course. Um, yeah. And I can remember when that happened, you know, because there's so much in our life that we can't control or that we don't control. So you never know how things are going to end up. Mm-hmm. So I would say about two years into my journey here, I just felt like I was, you know, pushing up against the wind there. Just things weren't working out how I wanted to. Um, I wasn't happy with the work that I was doing. I still hadn't found my people. I had, you know, I had many acquaintances, but I just didn't feel deep connections with people. And I just started thinking, and I had just come back from Christmas with family at home and felt so loved and, you know, with with the people who understood me. And I just, you know, back in Madrid kind of felt like, what is the point of being here if I have no one to share this with? And not even in a romantic way, just on a friendship level. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I thought maybe uh, there were better job, job prospects for me at the time in Houston. And so I kind of weighed like, did I make the right decision? Do I need to go back? And you know what? In the next six months, things really turned around. And, you know, I wouldn't give up this life for anything. I'm so glad that I stuck stuck it out through those doubts. Excellent. Final question I have for you is how is Spain, particularly Madrid doing with the COVID-19 outbreak? Yes. Um, as you guys may know, they're listening, you know, Madrid was one of the epicenters of uh, the outbreak. So we are, um, we're doing well. We just got some, I guess, um, air quotes, some freedoms in the past two weeks. We've been under a mandatory lockdown, which means we weren't allowed to leave our houses except to go to the grocery store, or the pharmacy. And, you know, we don't drive. So it's not like you can just go for a nice ride around the town to get out of your house. And a lot of us live in, in small kind of New York style apartments. And so just having our freedom to go walk, you know, for a little bit in the morning, we have certain times we can go out. It was a big game changer and I think brought a lot of relief to people. So we're in this for, you know, we know that this is going to be a long process here of de-escalate, de-escalating till we go back to normal. But I think people here understand that it's what's, what we need to do. Um, and it's the safest thing, safest way that we can combat what's going on. It's so amazing to me how fragile the human race is when we look at this COVID-19. You know, we have technology, we can fly around the world and all sorts of stuff. And this unseen virus has crippled the entire world. It's just amazing. People need to hear this as they're listening and go, you know, we are not indestructible. We are a fragile life force. And we need to realize that and respect life. I think people are going to begin to respect life a little more than they did before this thing because no one knows. This is not like uh, back in World War II, you could see Hitler's army. I mean, you, you don't know where this thing is. You can't like say, oh, there's COVID-19. And I've respected, uh, I've learned there's respect um, life more now going through this. And we will get through this, folks. We This is not the end of the world. We're all 8 billion people are not going to die. Several people did, obviously. Several thousands of people died. But we will get through this the other side. And I just want people to just appreciate your life. If you have 
If you have not gotten COVID-19, you know, take a moment to appreciate the fact you're healthy. If you haven't recovered, take a moment to appreciate it because a lot of people are just saying, well, I, I can't wait to get back to life as normal. And they haven't realized what the world is going through. And so I certainly appreciate life more now than I ever have. I completely agree. You know, just real quickly, when we were, um, I think it was two weeks ago, uh, was when we were able to leave our house to go exercise or just take a walk uh, for an hour a day. And I had, I mean, it was, I think, 50 days in lockdown where we couldn't even go for a walk outside. And I was counting down. I mean, it was like waiting for Christmas the night before. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I get to go run in the morning. I can go outside. I can see the city. I can see people. And I have to say that was one of the most emotional runs I've ever been on just to see humanity again and feel connected to this, you know, thing that we're in together. So it has definitely made me appreciate the little things so much more. Wow. Well, here in Houston, we had the stay at home order, but we were allowed to go out and run as long as we were um, either running by ourselves or running with people in our household. Uh, we didn't have to wear masks if we were running. Cause obviously if you're running, I'm a daily runner, I've run 987 days in a row and you know, you can't wear a mask and go running because you need the oxygen. Um, and someone said to me, well, what if they said you couldn't go outside? I would run in my house. And when you've run it 987 days in a row, you don't stop because there's a virus. You just run in your house. And I've done it a couple of times when it rained all day. I just ran in my house. It drives the dog crazy. <laughs> Why is dad running back and forth? But I got my run in. And so there's ways to get around it. But uh, I'm glad you're safe. Um, yes. My final question for you is where can we find out more about you? Yes, yes. Um, so there's a few places. So I run a community called She Hit Refresh. So I'll just throw that out there for anyone interested learning how to untether their life. It's it's a community for women age 30 and over. Um, and so we have a, a Facebook group called She Hit Refresh. So you can just go to Facebook groups forward slash, sorry, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash she hit refresh. We have a lot of resources for everybody. You don't just have to be a woman over 30. You can find us on our website at shehitrefresh.com. And then last, you can follow us on Instagram and you can also contact me there if you have any questions, want any information. If you're interested in changing your life, find us on Instagram at shehitrefresh. Well, this has been a delightful high energy. I love it when my guests are high energy like I am because we're just like going at it together. So I want to thank you for being on the show today. You gave us a lot to think about. It was an absolute pleasant conversation. So thank you so much. Mark, it was a pleasure being on. And I agree, this high energy back and forth. Love it. So thank you so much for having me on and letting me share a bit of my story. And just before we go, don't forget to head on over to my website, mrproductivity.com. Click on the blog tab, find this episode, and leave a comment. What questions do you have for Seppi? What was your big takeaway from the episode? We really want to hear from you. You can also get the direct link to the blog post in the show notes, but we want to hear from you. So go to mrproductivity.com, click on blog, find the episode, leave a comment. I'm going to be there. Seppi's going to be there. Let us answer your questions. Let's cheer you on. You got this. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mark Stucheski podcast. Until we meet again, my friend, go be productive.